Welcome to another episode of the Wembley Way podcast. Tonight, Tom and Nick discuss their best and worst. We have Ben, the journalist, Arsenal's form with guest Lloyd Arthur, five things in the EFL by Sheld, West Ham versus Spurs in this week's match spotlight, youth watch, power rankings, and then finally, the listeners' questions. Um, hello and welcome to Series One, Episode Five of the Wembley Way Podcast. Nick, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, it's been cold, it's been very cold, but uh, but the football's been good, so uh, can't complain. Again, how about you? Yeah, not bad. Football bad, really bad. But I uh, I became an uncle on Sunday night. Congratulations! A bit mad, isn't it? Uh, so so my, my girlfriend's uh, sister um, has and they and they named their newly born son Lucas. First thoughts, Lucas Mora. I'm not sure. I mean, Hayley's um, sister's boyfriend, husband, the father, he's a Spurs fan. So I am thinking Lucas Mora, but uh, I also doubt it. Maybe the uh, baby would do a lot of pointless dribbling then. Or score a hat-trick at Ajax, which sends us to the uh, the holy grail of the Champions League final. All that. All that. All right, moving swiftly on then. I thought I'd drop that news. Uh, anyway, um, on to the running order. As always, we start with the best and worst. And Nick, what is your best of the week? My best of the week, um, by some way, is Edison's assist for Gundogan's goal against Spurs um, in their mauling of Spurs. Uh, I mean, we we all Brilliant. know that Edison's got <laughs> we all know that Edison's got this in his locker. Yeah. Um, and and I think. When I was watching the replays of it, I was thinking, like, just the ability to do that is, is unbelievable. Like, to be on your own six-yard box and ping that ball with such accuracy, sort of to have the technique as a goalkeeper to be able to do that is, is ridiculous. And then, and then I thought, hold on, it's not just the technique to be able to do that. It's one, it's the vision of, of spotting Gundogan's run. It, this wasn't sort of Gundogan standing sort of in, in an obvious position here. He made a no. really dynamic run yeah. in behind Spurs' back four. Um, and the timing of the pass, that like I mean, those two things, the vision, the timing, they're things that you expect of like the, the world class playmakers and, and, and creative players, not of not of your goalkeeper. But yeah. um, so combining all those things, the ability to to actually perform the assist, but also spotting it and delivering it at the, the precise moment, um, for me, yeah, the best. Yeah, fair enough. What's yours? Uh, so yeah, my best of the week uh, has to be West Brom's uh, keeper Sam Johnston. Or John Stone. Let's go with John Stone. Yeah, his last uh, last minute save at home to Man United. Um, in the 95th minute, I think it was, it looked like a Maguire's header had pulled another comeback win out of the hat for Solskjaer's side. But John Stone's mammoth stretch into the top corner allowed him to tip the ball onto the post and just, just secure a well-earned point. Uh, uh, it was a worldy save, to be fair. Absolutely madness. 
Mm. Um, I think he actually made a last minute save against Liverpool to earn a draw at Anfield, plus a few from close range at the Etihad. And obviously yesterday he's done it again. Uh, yesterday? S- Saturday, he done it again. And against his old club. I didn't know this, but he was actually at United from 2011 to 2018. Mm. Uh, it went on loan like seven times in the yeah. process. But uh, yeah, he's certainly establishing himself now as a good keeper at the Hawthorns. Uh, I mean, obviously it's, they're proving to, to be a pretty poor side, our West Brom. But uh, yeah, the 27-year-old has probably been one of their better players this season. And dare I yeah, say, I could now be in the running for an England call-up. Or at well, least, or at least, added to our power rankings. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, <laughs> he, he's been their best player this season, I think. Yeah, yeah every yeah. time I've watched him, I've always thought, I've, I've thought he, he looks like a good keeper, very confident yeah, yeah. keeper. He's good with his feet as well, um, as well as of the, the shot stopping side of things. So yeah, I'm very impressed with him, and particularly that save, which was um, yeah, absolutely glorious. Yeah, it really was. Um, and Nicky, what's your worst of the week? My worst of the week. So I decided this at half time after in the Arsenal Leeds game, and it, and it was Leeds. Um, I, w- I was almost embarrassed, and I almost changed my pick um, because of obviously the second half fight back, I guess. But yeah, that first half it just it it, it just summed up Leeds, and we, we spoke about this early on um, in the first series. I think it might have been even the first episode. Hmm. Um, we spoke about Leeds, and and yeah, you've got to give them credit for the way they play, but. You, they can't be that naive in these games to, to give away the, the amount of chances and give give away the sloppy errors that they do every time. I mean, they've, they've, they've now conceded the second most goals in the Premier League um, mm. behind West Brom, I think. Um, I mean, that, that that's that, that's not great for a team who who is, who is sort of pushing for the top half. Um, Messier again makes makes a sort of same mistake that he has been all season. I actually think he's quite a good goalkeeper, but mm. whether it's by instruction or, or on his own accord, he seems to be taking these needless risks at the back. Um, and they just play so openly, and 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 they'll get the plaudits for their fight back in the second half. Oh yeah, they 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 played well in the second half. They push back. They run a lot. They got to give them credit. It's exciting to watch, isn't it? Six goals in the game again, but. Yeah, football's entertainment business, but when you're when you're a player, manager, or a fan of a certain team, you want you want them to you want them to do well and to win. And I just I just feel like they they can improve on their performances so much if they made slight tweaks here and there. But yeah, um, I'm sure Leeds fans will will, will think differently. Um, uh, I mean, again, that second half, it, thought it was three 0 half time, four 0 early on the second half. Why don't they just sit back, shut up shop, and conserve their energy? We've all heard about Bielsa's teams running out of steam. To, um, in the second half of the season, due to mm-hmm. this intense way they play, that game was all that game was over. Four 0 was done and dusted. Conserve your energy, and let's not not have the fatigue for the next match. But um, he wants them to keep playing at 100 mile an hour. So fair play to him, but um, I think it's naive in the Premier League, especially in a COVID season. So that's my worst of the week. I think um, yeah, Leeds they will stay up playing like this though. And so I mean, mm. if you zoom out, you, you know, you could argue it's a commendable strategy going into their first Premier League season for over a decade. Um, it's just what they do next season. Um, they will they will have to improve on their players to to make this a, a sustainable strategy, which sees them rise up the Premier League table. Mm, I, yeah, I agree. Just just a final note on that. I think I don't I don't hate the way they they play, especially against the smaller teams because they'll, they'll outscore and they'll beat smaller teams or the, or yeah. the lesser clubs as such. It's when they come up against the teams who they know can hurt them def- um, at the back, mm-hmm. and they don't seem to adapt. They just they just let them do it almost. So I think that that's 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 it for me. But. Um, Moving on to your worst, let's go. Yeah, um, it's another goalkeeper. So I think three of our four best and worsts have been goalkeepers this week. Um, but this time, for all the wrong reasons, um, it's Alison Becker. Um, yeah, mm. the form of this guy is it's just falling off a cliff. Um, 
It's like he's been space jammed. You know when like the Monstars steal the talent from the NBA players? Well, it seems like they're okay. at it again. And this time they've robbed Allison of his of his decision-making ability. Uh, firstly, you have the double distribution disaster at City uh, and now a calamitous misjudgment at the King Power. Uh, to explain what happened, the game was perfectly poised at 1-1, two goals in relatively quick succession, set up a last 10 minutes with it all to play for. Um, enter the space jammed Liverpool number one. Uh, the Brazilian came storming out of his area in an attempt to clear what was only a hopeful diagonal ball, really. Um, but he, yeah, he got things totally wrong. It was a clear mix-up in communication between him and uh, debutant Ozan Kabak, uh, the new Liverpool centre-back. Um, yeah, Alisson rushes out to claim the ball whilst it, it looked like the new signing tries to bring the ball down. And they basically just get in each other's way, uh, resulting in the uh, Liverpool number one performing almost like a comical air kick, <laughs> uh, missing it completely, um, which meant the ball fell loose to Vardy, who could basically just walk it in. Um, I'm not too sure if Alisson makes a call to the centre-back, because if he mm. did, then Kabak could also take some of the blame. But the well, fact that's what is, I was just about to say. I mean, yeah. obviously... Uh, pouncing on mistakes like that, uh, Jamie Vardy's meat and drink, but um, drink. But uh, yeah, I, 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 if he makes a, I mean, put it this way: I think it is Allison's error in on the basis that there should be no room for judgment there. He, if he's gonna, if he's gonna come out and clear that ball, he should be absolutely screaming to the point where Kabak knows. Well, you take clearly, the ball clearly. Take, it's, you take bodies. You take everything. Yeah, if you're exactly. Do, if you're gonna make but, that uh, that run out like he did. But what I would say, if I was a keeper, if he did call for that. If I'm a keeper, I'll be blaming my centre back for not just getting out of my way if he if he did call. But exactly. um, there's something going on there, and and miscommunication is always a, a two way street. So um, mm -hmm. I think uh, it's, a, it's a saying for you there if you want. Um, so I think that uh, it, I agree with that. Alrighty, and that's our best and worst this week. Uh, moving on to a, a relatively new feature, it's Ben the journalist. Nick, what the hell do we mean by that? Why, why is he why is he called that? <laughs> this this takes us back to the Euros in France. Um, we actually went out there, didn't we? Uh, to, Did. to to Lille and, and Lons. But um, yeah, when uh, Stan Collymore was reporting live as a as a, as a radio journalist and and Talk uh, sport, the police, I think. yeah, yeah, I think it was, and and and, and the police were chasing down hooligans and spraying <laughs> or pepper spray and beating with batons and stuff, and and he was caught up in the in the mix up reporting on it, and he, he didn't obviously didn't want the. Uh, the police to to um, give him a beating, so he just screamed in fear. Journalist, journalist. Um, just but in the surely, hope just, that they say journalist. just say journalist. Just say journalist. It's a very simple yeah. word. Well, I mean, is it even the word in French? Is he just putting a French accent on English word? I don't yeah. know. Well, whatever it is, it's now Ben the journalist. Thanks, Tom. Ben Allison here, reporting live for the Wembley Way podcast. I'm here with Sean Deitch. Thank you for agreeing to chat with me. Now, I've been told I've only got one question I can ask you. Um, although, before I do that, I must say, seeing you in person, you do remind me a lot of Max Brannan from EastEnders. Ethan, can you say that? Apparently, I look very much like Chris Evans, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't see it. Personally speaking, I can't see it. Oh, I see but apparently, I do. So, it's a fair, fair point that you make. Thank you very much for reminding everyone of that clear right. fact that I obviously do. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, it's just an observation, really. Um, I mean, who would you say I look like then, for example? Bungle. Bungle? He's like a giant bear, isn't he? Well, how do you even know Bungle? Well, don't personally. Well, I've never heard that before. That's mental. Every night you're at a wrestler, you nudge him and go, look, Bungle's in again. Right. There's Bungle. 
Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Should we move on because time is against us? So seeing the kids film. Up. Uh, <sighs> yes. Right, you know you know the little old man with the glasses on? Yeah. I swear to you, we were playing away at Sunderland and a, a live human version of the man in up in up was there. Sure. And I said the lads were right with the staff went, Oh my god, lads, I've got the best one ever, got the best one ever. I was nudging mm-hmm. around the table because he was just literally at the bar there and I was nudging uh-huh. and I was going, the fellow out of up. Oh my God, they were crying. Sure. They were crying. It's the best looky like you have ever had. It literally was the cartoon man out of Up, but in a human form. It was yeah, bizarre. The lads went, Oh my God, that is actually him. Did they? To the point when you like want to get a selfie, you know, with them subliminal ones, where he's at the sure. you just turn and go, bonk. Right, can I ask this question now? Or would you rather keep talking about people that look like other people? All day. Right. It'd be much more fun than you ask me about whether we're going to play 4 4 2. And they go, Yeah, he is. Sure, Dutch is going to play a 4-4-2. OK, well, unfortunately, that isn't what I was going to ask. So um, can we just do this now? It's all right. It's your job. It's all right. It's all right. And my job's to answer, so crack on. Right. Thanks. Um, so the question I would like to put to you is, in January... When Hang on, the... there's a cat. There's a cat. Oh, Hang on, there's a cat. Fuck. I can't no, concentrate. I'm going. There's a I'm cat. Gone. No, I, I think... Yeah, I look like it. Is that not a cat I look like? at all. Because it's ginger, oh, isn't it? So I, I look like that cat, too. Why are you still talking? Oh, I'm so bored. Sorry, you can tell I'm bored. I'm just bored. Right. Sorry, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. And that was Ben, the journalist. Uh, another classic, Nick. It really was. It really was. Uh, couldn't get Sean Dyche off the topic of lookalikes, but uh, <laughs> never mind. Next week, maybe. Uh, let's move on to... Arsenal's form. We've uh, we're joined here today by Lloyd Arthur. Lloyd, how you doing? Yeah, good. Okay, thanks. How you doing? How are you boys doing? Yes, not bad. Thanks yeah. very much. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So talking about Arsenal. Uh, so what do you make of your season so far? So it's been up and down, isn't it? Yeah. So we have been like we've been really inconsistent, really. Like this, this season, we had a good win to begin with with Fulham, and you know, we had a good result against West Ham, and we just went on a dreadful run. We just couldn't get. Couldn't buy a win anywhere. Um, just we've been unlucky at times. You know, we've had like a lot of red cards, a lot of bad decisions. And I think I think part of it also the problem was our summer transfer business. I think mm. originally is that we wanted to get rid of a lot more players than we could have, that we could at the time. So, mm. you know, we wanted to get rid of Kalazinac, we wanted to get rid of Ozil, we wanted to get rid of Socrates, Mustafi, just those, just from kind of like the old regime really. And they were just still hanging around and, we just couldn't just couldn't get rid of them. Attacking was really like, attacking was really poor. Like it wasn't flowing. We couldn't buy a goal. Like Aubameyang hasn't been on form this up until recently. He hasn't been on form. So yeah, just been inconsistent. But I can see like now, particularly after January and the, the good run that we had, like may, maybe how things will look going forward and just getting rid of some of the players that we've wanted to get rid of clearly for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, do you still believe in Arteta, and do you think he's the right man for the job long term? Yeah, I think I, I do believe in Arteta. Like, I can see the way he's made us a lot more difficult to beat. So, before, like, you know, Arsenal, if we go one nil, two nil down, it's over. We're losing four or five nil, and it's also it tactically, tactically, it's different. So you see in different games, like how we set up. You know, some teams where you expect to dominate. You know, we're a bit more attacking. Some of like the bigger teams like Liverpool, City, you know, the United, you saw like particularly towards the end of last season, mm-hmm. how the way he had us set up, which was harder to beat and, you know, on the counter-attack, we could actually beat a big team that we haven't been able to do for, for years. I think the problem 
from like, previously is, you know, Wenger was quite stubborn as in no matter what he thought, his team would just outbeat any team. But, you know, as time got on and other teams got a lot better and we kind of stagnated, that was just never was never going to work. So mm-hmm. I, I like Arteta. I think he needs I think he needs time. I think managers these days do need time, you know, particularly Arsenal with the squad. You know, I think we've got to be realistic. The squad is so average. Like it's okay. not it's not a good it's not a good squad. Like if you look at like our squad, how many of those were getting, you know, the top five or six teams? It's yeah. not, not not many. It's not it's not a great squad. There's a lot that needed to go and still needs to go and it's going to take a couple more transfer windows in my opinion. Yeah, the size of the squad is an interesting one. I think it reminds me a little bit of Chelsea when there's just so much deadwood left there. Uh, from like you said, from previous managers, previous signings, um, and it just needed to go. And obviously, this summer and this January, or last summer, last January, wasn't the time to try and get rid of players. Um, Chelsea tried it. We had sort of Zappacosta, Drinkwater, Barkley, Alonso, Emerson, and, and you've got similar players that you've just mentioned, and you just can't can't get rid of those players for the for the money you want at this time, which is really difficult. I mean, I think um, Arsenal signed players for 150 million pounds uh, over the last few transfer windows, and they've just got rid of those players in last summer or January, and they got 15 million for Martinez, and the rest was loan fees or releases. So it just shows like how badly that recruitment has cost the club and. If you reverse that, if you were to buy 150 million pounds worth of players and get 300 million for them, hmm. I think where you could be in terms of like pushing on for those extra extra couple of quality signings, it's um, yeah, it really does disrupt things, doesn't it? Yeah, we've just we've just overpaid for average players. Is the honest truth? And put them on large contracts. So you look at you should just mention from Mustafi, for example, we signed him for 35 million, and he's the he, I think he must have been at least on 100 grand a week. Mm. No, no one's no one's gonna no one's gonna pay that from a staffy when, when you look at him he's not played well like even even one season later we'd lost like 10 million on him when Inter mm. Milan Inter Milan tried to buy him for 25 million and we said well obviously no we're not taking the 10 million loss but mm. now we just had to pay him off for him to go so it would have been a master stroke if you told him for 25 wouldn't it <laughs> yeah it would have. looking back on it it would have, it would have been <laughs> but no yeah we had to pay him off just to, just so he could go yeah Indeed. Talking about uh, transfers, then I mean, where should Arsenal strengthen then in the summer? Looking at uh, looking at next season. So number one priority is definitely attacking midfielder. Um, it, that's, that's only if we don't keep Odegaard. So if we keep Odegaard, then brilliant. Like that's, that's what have that. you made of Odegaard's uh, his first start? I believe last night. I think he he was pretty, he played pretty well. He picked up some nice positions. Mm. You know, he always wanted the ball, so you'd even see him drop back into. You know the number six position, collect the ball, keep the keep things moving. I like the chemistry that he had with Saka and Smith Rowe yesterday. It looked mm. like they've been playing, you know, for longer than just obviously a few weeks that we've had him. Um, he he's quite good at making late runs into the box. It's just mm. only if he was his finishing was just a little bit better in the last couple of games. He could have had a goal or two. Mm. Um, you, can, you can see he hasn't played a lot for Real Madrid, so I think his fitness and stuff needs to get. Uh, get brought up a little bit because obviously started to fade later on in the game but I, I, so far I've been I've been pretty impressed it's he's uh, been good to say good touches always always keeping the ball moving so yeah been happy with him um, and as for the summer then yeah so if we don't sign him maybe another like, number 10 obviously we were linked mm. with uh, Aura last year from Leon um, and he's he's a, he's a quality player so either, either one of those and then definitely a, a backup left back because as good as Tierney is, 
he has been injured like quite a lot in the last couple of seasons. So last season he missed most of it due to injury. Mm. We, you could clearly see we're missing him now, um, mm. and so we definitely need a backup left back, um, a backup goalie. So we signed <laughs> we signed Ron- Renarsson last summer, and he was he, not good at all. <laughs> um, I mean, you had a really good backup goal, uh, goalie in the Martinez, didn't you? Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a it's a bit of a low blow. Like we was obviously gutted to lose him, but essentially he wanted number one. Like, he, like from what from what I understand, he wanted to be guaranteed number one rather than compete for number one. So right. we, we wanted him to stay and compete with Leno, and sure. you know either one could be number one, but he wanted guaranteed. So what can you do? Yeah, you have to get. If we keep another season, he goes for a lot cheaper. So we took what we could, and he mm-hmm. and he went. But definitely a backup goalkeeper as well. Um, and if there is any money left, it would be depend be a centre midfielder because I think we should tell El Nene. I don't think he's a he's not good enough for us, in my opinion. If you think mm-hmm. of Arsenal, uh, he's not. I don't think he's good enough there. But it's just to see what we do with you know Shabayos because he's on loan again. Mm-hmm. So if we either we keep even if we keep him, we still need another centre mid if we get rid of our Nene. So yeah, yeah, it's it's funny actually because Arsenal's good teams uh, over prior years was always built off of an insanely good spine. Yeah, and they just haven't had that for so many years. Like they might have had like a good striker here and there and things like that and a, and a good odd player, but like that that, that goalkeeper centre back strong centre mid spine of the team just hasn't been there like since two thousand and four two thousand five yeah. almost. It's, it's ridiculous how that. That issue's just, just continued. I know, obviously, parties come in now, which helps, I guess. Mm. But it's yeah, it hasn't. It's been lacking, isn't it? Yeah. So that's that's the thing. We haven't. That spine hasn't been there since two thousand five, and it's been glaringly obvious to mm. every single like <laughs> people who like football that you know we haven't had a good defensive mil- midfielder till probably this year signing Partey, but he's just been he's been injured. Haven't had really good centre back pairing for God knows how many years, and mm. even goalkeeper not until recently. So. Yeah, it's been pretty frustrating. We we started the call speaking about Leeds, and I told you to hold it for the for the pod. And obviously, yeah. uh, talking about Leeds, you obviously played them last night at home and won four two. Yeah, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the game? Um, it's probably one of the best halves Arsenal have played this season. Um, you know, every, every kind of everything was perfect mm. basically, but Leeds just they're just relentless, aren't they? No, they, they, no matter what four nil like most most other teams, they probably just think we're just sit back and try not to concede any more goals but yeah. the way Bielsa gets them set up is no we're just going to keep going and keep going and just the way Arsenal are sometimes it's just so, so 4-0 it still it still feels worrying I don't know why but it, it's just you just you just never you just never fully comfortable so I think, they I think the commentators second... mentioned last sorry Nick go on I was going to say, I think the commentators mentioned last night that it was it was around the time of the anniversary of when you were 4-0 up against Newcastle uh, and, and and drew four all. Check Tiote's goal to make it four all. Yeah, oh, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, there, there was. There, I, I received quite a few messages yesterday saying Newcastle's going to happen again. So <laughs> I was I was a bit nervous. But yeah, first, first off, we, we played quality. Yeah, yeah. Just um, just as I say Leeds. Just they just keep going. And to sometimes with with Arsenal, we as we've alluded to earlier on, is that we are a bit lightweight in certain positions, and we just haven't. You know, we just haven't got that know-how just to sometimes just keep it tight for 10, 15 minutes and just weather it like it can actually weather storms. Mm. Yeah. And when 
and that's exactly what happens. They got two goals in quick, pretty quick succession. Mm. I actually thought you did quite well after it went to four two. To be fair, I thought of Leeds can score two quick fire goals against anyone with, with their attacking prowess. But but actually, when it got to four two, it didn't look for the rest of the game. It didn't look like they were they were going to sort of come back and, and draw for all or, or get that extra goal. It, you, I thought you defended quite well actually. So fair play. Yeah, yeah. After that, I think uh, Arteta made some good substitutions, um, the right, some right substitutions, which has made, made them a little bit more solid during it through the middle. So he brought on El Nene, uh, brought on Holding. So it's just a little bit more solid in there. Um, yeah, probably, yeah, some of the other players probably a bit tired. As I mentioned, the other guy that hasn't played much, so he came off mm. yeah, and things like that. Mm. Um, one one more thing I, I want to pick your brains on. Um, given that I'm a Chelsea fan, you're an Arsenal fan, yeah. and and we've had this discussion over many months prior to him signing for Arsenal. But I just want to get your take on uh, on Willian and and what a piece of business that is <laughs> for Chelsea. <laughs> Don't worry, yeah, I, I can't believe it. Like when when we signed him, I was so happy. Like, I thought, oh, what a player! Like I'm, I'm, obviously, I watched him like odd occasion. I don't watch Chelsea every week, but I watched him odd occasion. I always thought. Yeah, free kick that set piece is always pretty good. He used Mate, to. You always he, had a blinder against Spurs. I tell you, Nick would complain about him week after week. You play against Spurs and get man of the match every single time. That's what I mean. Someone chose like Chelsea mates, like he is shocking. Like you wait. Mm. In the first game, he got three assists. I thought, <laughs> I, thought oh, what a, I was like, what a signing? Like, it was I like Fulham, I, wasn't it? Away. Yeah. 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 I was messaging everyone going, Williams unreal. And, and, <laughs> and since then, he's got to be up there with the worst sign we've ever made. He's dreadful. Like, he just looks so vacant, doesn't he? Like, he's not in the room. He, like, yesterday I was reading a stat, he came on that, I think he, he lost the ball out of like, 10 times. I think he lost the ball like seven or something like that. Yeah, yeah I saw that. It was, it, was really, it was over half the times he had the ball, he lost it, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and then a game we came on the other week, he didn't play one single forward pass. It was either sideways or backwards. And I just, I'm thinking, <laughs> what is what is going on? Like he, he's, yeah, he's he's not good. I, I can't believe, you know, Barcelona wanted him. Obviously, Chelsea wanted to keep him on a shorter contract, but we've given him a three-year contract and quite a lot of money. I think we need. I think we need to try and sell him one way or another because he he's he's not been good for us at all. Mm-hmm. Difficult one, isn't it? Like like you said, you've got him on a three-year deal on quite a lot of money, but uh, he's a good he's a good player to have. I just think it was a bit of a strange signing given the, the sort of age he's at and, and where he's at in his career. I don't, I don't think he really needs to achieve anything more in the Premier League than he's already done. So I think he's, he's probably just... Um, Coasting it. Yeah, happy to sit there with his restaurant and his mate Louise and, and a few other other Brazilians at, at Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. But you had no money to spend in the summer, so that's what that's what happens, isn't it? I kind of, I kind of understood it in terms of, like, he has won a lot of Chelsea. Arsenal, mm. lack, Arsenal lack a lot of experience. And... Even if you look at um, since lockdown, when he came back, William played pretty well. So you, mm. you would have thought yeah. he, he could have given us at least a couple of years, but he's, yeah. he's just not he's just not done it for us at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, in fairness to him, I've criticised him over the years. But one thing is that he's played under every manager he's been at, a che- he's had at Chelsea. Um, so there must be something there in terms of his work rate and his commitment to the team. But um, like, yeah, like Tom said, he just looks a little bit non-plus at the moment for in an Arsenal shirt which is which is uh unfortunate for you guys yeah he just don't seem phased about being on the bench either like he doesn't <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't come on and like you know try and try yeah, and like, yeah. light it up a bit and think like oh, I should be starting ahead of you know Odegaard's only just come in and he's 
if William could have got a start yesterday, really, but he got overlooked straight away. So it just doesn't mm. seem like he's that fast. And to sum it all up then, where do you, where do you think Arsenal will finish this season? Uh, I'd say top nine, like top half. I think if we can put together another good run like we did from like uh, early December to like mid-January, if we could put another good run, you know, potentially seventh, but no, nowhere near like top four or, or, or top six. That's that's too far. But if we put on a run towards the end of the season, I could potentially see us finishing seventh, eighth. Um, yeah, yeah. That's it then. Uh, on that sombre note, we conclude uh, our chat about Arsenal's form. Um, this is not the end of Lloyd Arthur's involvement in tonight's episode. Uh, that's a little clue there as to what we might be talking about later. Um, but for now, thanks, Lloyd. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cheers, Lloyd. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Next, it's that time of the week. It's five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Terrific tykes. Brentford nil, Barnsley 2. Now, this may seem a little bit biased after it was revealed last week that I am, in fact, a Barnsley fan, but I do not care. Um, This is my performance of the week. So, after the shift we put in against Chelsea in the FA Cup last week, where we lost very narrowly, um, I think it was expected that Brentford would beat us this weekend and I spoke about Brentford in the last few pods and how about how well they've been playing recently uh, they're unbeaten in 21 league games since the 24th of October going into this game and they scored 17 times in four straight league wins before this match however they barely mustered a meaningful attempt on our goal and it was really a comfortable 2-0 win Type that one to watch Freddie Woodman now, Nick talked about Woodman a little last week, um, so I thought I'd give a little more insight into him. Woodman has come a long way since winning the Under-20 World Cup with England in 2017. He spent the last two seasons on loan with Swansea in the Championship and has been an ever-present for them. He keeps his defenders organised, is an assured passer in possession, he can play out from the back, which is very important in modern-day football, or he can spread it to the wings. His concentration levels are great and he's a good shot stopper. Um, He's only conceded 15 goals so far in the Championship this season in 27 games. He could be a future England number one. Keith Curl curbed. So another week and yet another sacking in the EFL. Northampton Town sack manager Keith Curl after two and a half years in charge following a 1-0 home defeat by relegation rivals Wigan. He left the club 23rd in League One, however the only inside the relegation zone on goal difference. The move didn't have the immediate effect that was, de- that was desired, as it lost 2-0 at home to resurgent Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's Burton, as we mentioned last week. Sol Campbell is the current favourite for the job. Shrimpers crawl to safety. Now only three league games survived the weather in League Two at the weekend. However, it was still a memorable one for Southend United. They earned a pretty credible 0-0 draw at league leaders Cambridge United, which in the process moved them out of the League 2 drop zone for the first time since October. Never has a dull 0-0 draw been so celebrated. Black Caps purring. 
So it's been a bit of a stop-start season so far for Sunderland in League One. However, their 4-1 win at home to Doncaster at the weekend leaves them just inside the playoff places and could really kick-start their season. In a remarkable game, Charlie White scored all four of Sunderland's goals and Aidan McGeady set up all four. Keeper Lee Burge also saved two penalties for them. Charlie White is now the top scorer in League One with 17 goals so far and you could say that if Charlie keeps this form up, it could be all white for Sunderland's promotion bid. Uh, incidentally, Nick and Tom, I've got a question. Uh, when was the last time a player scored four goals in a game and was set up by the same player for each of those four goals? Five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Five things. You definitely it. Thanks, Sheld. Again, another beautiful five things in the EFL. He's really coming around, didn't he, Nicky? Really, really starting to come to his own. Yeah, like that. Um, he did ask a question, though. Uh, do you know the answer? Yeah, um, I do. We, we actually spoke about it uh, last week, I think. We um, did, indeed. It was, uh, it was Son's four goals against Southampton with Kane assisting all four. So I believe that was the last time, but um, I'm sure Sheld will correct me if I'm wrong next week. I'm sure he will. Alrighty, on to uh, our next feature. It's Match Spotlight. This week we're discussing West Ham versus Spurs. And to help us with uh, today's preview, we've got Alex Shields again. He's on call this time. And uh, here he is. Hi, guys. It's Shieldsy here. And I'm doing the Match Spotlight on West Ham versus Tottenham. How do I think this is going to go? I have absolutely no idea. If I had to pick two teams who could beat any team one week and then lose to another team the next, it would probably be either West Ham or Tottenham. West Ham finished their game against Manchester United with four fullbacks, one centre-half and no strikers. So it depends on what team they can get out on the day. Spurs, it really just depends on how they feel that day. I'm going to go over score draw. Antonio to score first. Son to equalise. Cheers. Thanks, Alex. Eloquently put, uh, like always. Um, so, Nick, what, what do you think about this one? I mean, it's going to be a really interesting game. Um, West Ham, obviously set up so well at the moment under Moyes. Um, I actually noticed while we're recording this West Ham playing and um, Antonio has missed out due to injury. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see whether that's actually an injury or whether it's just a case if he can't play that many minutes uh, in a row and, and they're resting him for, for that game against Spurs. But um, interestingly, October 2017 was the last West Ham win over Spurs. So it feels like West Ham have done well against Spurs in recent times, but um, maybe that was just a sort of three-all comeback recently. Um, well, they beat um, us. They beat us in like in games that um, I think get a lot of press. If that makes yeah, any sense. So yeah. it's our it's the game which uh, in our in our title run in 2017. Well, I think um, it was that it was that game. Oh no, it wouldn't have been, would it? October. It was no, like and then, on, wasn't it? there was that, another yeah. one. I think the first yeah. home game at, uh, at at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Of course, yeah, it was, wasn't it? And uh, yeah. I think Antonio. Um, What's the word? Uh, galloped as a celebration. Um, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a fun watch. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's why they stick in the memory. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But no, I, I think there's going to be some good battles over the pitch, and, and depending on who wins those battles, I think we'll probably win the game. And the, the one of the ones I'm looking forward to is, is Kane against um, Ogbonna and Rice, sort of in that gap between the centre back and the centre mid. We know how well Ogbonna has been playing at the back for West Ham, and obviously we know about Rice's qualities. But we know what Kane can do. So if he can find those spaces and, and pick out Son, that'll be really dangerous. Um, mentioned Antonio's fitness. If he is fit, it'd be interesting to see if he gives the Spurs centre-backs a bit of a run around like he can. Um, 
we know that Spurs' centre-backs have been a little bit delicate of late, so that would be that'd be a really interesting one. And then one that I think is going to be really one to watch is, is the Kufau against Son battle, because we know Son yeah. likes to play high and wide, and we know Kufau likes to get forward and support the attack, so which one of those can push the other one back far enough to, to nullify the threat. So um, really interesting game. I'm looking forward to it tactically as well. Moyes against Mourinho. I think it's going to be um, a really, a really fun game to watch from a tactical perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you say, um, if they're missing Antonio, um, then it kind of takes a sting out of their attacking thrust. Um, I have to back uh, Kane and Son if they're playing. I mean, Son seems to uh, love the Olympic Stadium. Um I think he's had, some, he's had a few great games there. And I think um, if we can get on the ball, maybe we need this kind of match, uh, a, a more of a grittier London derby. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they, they're they very well organised. And I think that, um, and I think if they can uh, see more of the ball, uh, which is often the case against Spurs, unfortunately, uh, and put us under pressure, then we could buckle like we've, we, we seem to do time and time again. Um, if we can get on the ball, stretch uh, this team, you like to think with Kane dropping deep like he does and, uh, and Sun over the top that we've def- definitely got enough to hurt them. Um, I, I'm going to back Spurs in this. Uh, but before I do, what's your prediction? You've, you've given them yours away a little bit now. So um, I really don't know. I, I did I did think that that this is going to be, like you said, that, that sort of game that Spurs need to sort of kickstart yeah. them again. Almost. Well, Chelsea, um, Chelsea played it around us, right? And, and there was, a, I think, a there was a gap in class on the ball. Um, and, I, yeah, and I think, yeah. although, although West Ham have proven, I mean, I saw West Ham in the FA Cup against United, they're knocking it around quite nicely in that second half. Mm. Uh, first half, not so good by either team. Um, but they obviously haven't got um, the same players as Chelsea. And I think um, the ball would be certainly up for grabs slightly more in this in this match. And yeah. if we if it gets into a bit of a dogfight, that actually benefits Spurs because we need something. We need we need to play a different type of game at the moment. Um, we can't be relying on surrendering the ball. Um, and I want us to get drawn into a bit more of a battle that might bring out um, the best in the Uh Maybe Soko plays and, and, and he's often victorious in these kind of uh, infield uh, scraps. Um, and that might suit us actually at the moment, whereas I wouldn't have said that six weeks ago, you know? Mm, no, I agree. I, I actually think Soko should play. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed, um, it's really unlike Marino actually, but he's done it against... Um, Liverpool and he's done it against City where he played mm. the midfield two of, of Hoiberg and Ndombele and, and, and I, th- I do think that uh, Ndombele can play in the midfield two but when you're up against those teams who have a lot of possession um, I mean I remember that, that Liverpool game they just sort of cut through that midfield two like like, like jelly almost it was um, yeah I, I think Sissoko will be needed and the reason I say that is is the threat from Suche um, or Suchek however you want to pronounce it they might need someone um, alongside Hoiberg to sort of watch out for that and and uh, um, and, and sort of nullify that threat, but yeah, I, I'm I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go with a draw. Um, I think it's going to be a really cagey game uh, where where neither team wants to lose. Um, I mean, Marino cannot lose. Really, mm. he cannot lose this game. Um, and I th- I think that um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with a one all. So what's yours? Yeah, um, uh, I think I th- I think two one Spurs. Yeah, two one Spurs. I think we'll we'll go two 0 up actually, and I think then we'll just play shock in the second half and just and scrape it. Um, that's what, <laughs> it won't. My point is we'll win, but it won't be pretty. Yeah, um, never is. We, or we don't win, and then Yoza gets sacked. So you know, 
uh, maybe I can't lose this weekend. Is that, was that win-win, is it? Uh, yeah. You changed your tune this is a few weeks ago. It was, you, would be, you would be relieved a few weeks ago, and now it's, uh, now, now it's um, pleased. But we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, one yeah, thing I would true. say is that, um, I mean, I know this, this phrase has been banded around a lot um, since, since last year now, almost. Um, but it would be so much better if there were fans there, wouldn't there? Imagine this game, West Ham, uh, sort of towards the top of the table at the moment, Spurs with must win almost to, to sort of keep their Champions League hopes alive. It's um, yeah, it's, it's really real shame that there's no not going to be any fans in the stadium. No, you're right. I mean, I, I look at the fixture list and I, and and whether they're on TV. Obviously, most games are on TV at the moment. And yeah, for a moment, I forget that there's that, you know, uh, there's no fans, and I'm excited mm. for the atmosphere. You know, <laughs> and then I, then I remember and it kind of merges all the matches into one, doesn't it? When there's no yeah. fans, no, there's no, no, there's no yeah. nuance within in the stadiums. It's just an echoey uh, drone of emptiness. Yeah, indeed. indeed. But on happier notes, <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the England half of the podcast. And that means only one thing. It's England Youth Watch. This week, uh, we're going to be discussing Arsenal's number 32, the 20-year-old Croydon De Bruyne, Emil Smith-Rowe. Lloyd, what are you thinking? I like him. He, um, To be honest, he came in, obviously, in the Chelsea game, probably unexpectedly due to a few injuries and uh, like COVID uh, issues. And really and truly, he completely changed us at that time. Um, we were trying to find... We At the time, we were struggling to find a fluid way to attack. We tried going, you know... On the wings, that wasn't really working because we've not got like a big presence in the box. Mm. And he, he picks up nice little spaces and he, you know, it's easy to lend the ball to him. You know, you pass it to him, he's happy to take it on the half turn, lays it off, creates different angles. Um, yeah, he's good. He's really, uh, I've been really impressed with him since he's come in. Yeah, he's played a lot of football. He's featured in 12 of Arsenal's 24 Premier League matches so far this season with four assists to his name. Nick, what do you yeah. reckon? Yeah, well, talking about those assists, obviously it's only four assists, but um, and twelve matches, but he's he's pretty much played every match since he came in, isn't he? So it's, it's sort of it almost feels like more than twelve because it's pr- probably the last twelve or last thirteen matches he's featured in. But um, yeah, he's uh, he's fifth in the Premier League for assists per ninety minutes. Um, uh, I think De Bruyne's top. I think Kane's up there. Grealish is up there. Um, but he's he's ahead of Bruno Fernandez on assists per per uh, ninety minutes, which is which is pretty impressive. Obviously, only four at the moment, but. Um, for what he's played is, is very good. Most key passes for Arsenal this season, um, per game that is, sorry. Um, so yeah, so yeah like the stats are backing up his play at the moment. As you said, Lloyd, he, he receives the ball on the half turn, which um, give England their credit in terms of the youth setup um, or, or, or the development in academies at the moment. But all, all the England sort of youngsters who are coming through who can play that sort of midfield and attacking role all seem to do that really well. When you think of like Mount, Madison, Grealish, Foden, and Smith rose up there as well. Saka, another one. They can all receive the ball on the half turn, link up, and are always on the move. It's not a case of playing the ball and, and settling there. They're always on the move. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's. I think he's a really, uh, really good prospect. Alrighty, thank you very much, Lloyd. That was uh, England's youth watch. Thanks again, mate. No, cheers. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, <laughs> been, it's, it's been fun. Cheers. Yeah. Until next time. Thanks very much, mate. That was England Youth Watch. Uh, Smith Rowe, exciting talent. 
um, onwards to maybe the more senior players. Um, it's the England power rankings where we look at the uh, England uh, Euro squad and whether they will be or will not be on the Southgate's plane. Nick, we've got a question from um, Twitter, which we thought was power uh, rankings related. It's from mm -hmm. Stephen Willett at Stephen underscore Willett. Um, he says, I hear very mixed opinions about Dominic Calvert-Lewin. What are your thoughts on his qualities? For me, um, Calvert-Lewin, as I've said this before, I, I think he will go to the World Cup as England's backup striker behind Kane. Um, the reason I, I, I say that is because I think he can do a bit of everything that, that all of the other backup strikers or who could be considered backup strikers like Ings, Wilson, Bamford, Tammy Abraham. I think he can do everything that they do very well. Um, he's, we all know about his hold-up play, uh, yeah. his strength back in defenders, linking up play. He's very good in the air. He's very good in the box as well in terms of poaching one, one touch finish. Yeah. Um. I mean, all round game really. I, I think I think he's the closest thing we have to Kane as a striker. Um. Maybe not that sort of dropping deep and creating type thing, but um. But he's I don't even think quite tidy though. That. He's even quite tidy. Oh, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Feet, yeah, isn't yeah, he? yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I, I. I think. I think he's our second best striker. Um. He. He actually. Um. Reminds me of, of Tammy Abraham, but just better at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of all parts of his game, I think. Um, I mean, just a couple, a couple of stats. He's actually got um, of, of all of the England strikers in the Premier League, um, except Vardy, because he's actually retired. Mm -hmm. He's got the best minutes per goal ratio uh, this season, um, 136 minutes per goal, uh, which is just behind Vardy's 133. Um, he's actually got the the second best goal conversion rate of all of the England strikers, um, only behind Callum Wilson. So. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is 28%, Wilson's 29%. So I think, like I said, he, he's he's a poacher, he's a good finisher and he could score goals, but he can also do the other parts of the game. Um, and, and just quickly, I've mentioned this before, but England, in, for their backup striker, what England are going to need is someone who can put the ball in the back of the net um, mm -hmm. with, with sort of little chances because they're only going to be brought on um, at the last minutes to, to sort of win games if, if, we, if we're struggling. Um, mm -hmm. So you want you want you want the ball to fall in the box to him or to someone to score, and I think he's the person who can do that. So I, I really rate him, and I think he'll go to the, the uh, Euros as our second striker. Yeah, I mean, you took the words straight out of my mouth. Really, um, there's not much more to add. The only thing I had otherwise was he has already scored as many goals as he did last season, um, yeah. and he's just 13 in 20 games, and that's uh, in 16 fewer matches. So yeah, no, he's really kicked yeah. on this season. And yeah, if he could uh, continue to grow and take that into the summer, we'd have to take him. All right then. And uh, it's the power rankings, as I forget. So Nick, who are your movers and shakers this week? Movers and shakers. So um, I'm going to go, we've spoken about him a minute ago, Smith Rowe, um, yeah. continuing to, to put in really good performances. We did we did agree with Lloyd. I don't, I'm not sure he'll make the plane just because of the, the sort of, the amount of attacking uh, talent we have in, in, in the squad or potential squad, but I think yeah. he deserves uh, an increase above some of the players that are above him at the moment. Um, Saka, again, it's a difficult one because we're thinking maybe is it going to be a left wing-back slot? Is it going to be an attacking slot? But he's, he's performing so well at the moment. Um, I, I think he could play anywhere for, for England and for Arsenal. So mm -hmm. um, I'm going to give props to him. Um, and the last one is, is going to be Mings. Um, again, another clean sheet, although they didn't play particularly well against, um, against Brighton. Maybe they had Martinez to thank for that, but... Um, he's gone under the radar this season. Everyone's talked about Stones quite a lot. Obviously, everyone always talks about Maguire, good or bad. Um, I think Mings is pretty much now a shoe-in, in my opinion, for the sort of next 
natural centre back spot on the on the plane. I, I'm not sure he'll actually play. It's interesting um, though. He's got his critics. Um, he's not uh, devoid of uh, mistakes. Certainly not. No, but I think um, this season, the way he's the way he is in the Aston Villa setup in the defence, I, I think he's he's been very good. And I always I always think with a centre back or a defender or a goalkeeper, if you can go this far in a season without people really sort of talking about you too much, it's normally quite a good thing. Um, at the other end of the pitch, the attacking end of the pitch, you want people to be talking about you. But at the defensive mm. end, I think I mean Aston Villa kept I think the most clean sheets behind Man City this season, right? And, and he's been a, a ever present in that defence. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think he's I think he's just I think he's above the people like Keane, Dyer, Cody, Holding. I think he's he thinks he's just a little bit a little bit above them at the moment. So I think yep. I think he'll go and, and he deserves a rise. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. And as for the uh, the players reducing their chances on making the plane this week? Uh, so one, um, through no fault of his own, um, is James Justin. Obviously, he's injured and looks like he's out for the, potentially the season, Yeah. Um, which would give his England chances a massive blow. And, and it's a big shame, a really big shame, because he's been very good um, and potentially fills one spot where without him, two players are going to have to fill a spot to, to play on either either uh, side of the defence. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Kyle Walker. Um Plays well whenever he plays for San City and actually did score a strange goal against Swansea in the FA Cup. That's last one of those week, ones but, where, like, um, no one t- yeah, was, yeah. it kind of found its way into the back corner, didn't it? Exactly, um, yeah. So you yeah, can't really it doesn't say count. That he scored a goal, did he? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, he, well, he's not playing at the moment in the big games. So it's just, he, he's getting on a little bit. So whether that will affect him, I still think he'll go. I still think he'll he'll actually start as well if we play the, the three at the back formation. But um, maybe not as a, as much of a sort of important cog as we as we as we thought, given that his lack of playing time at the moment and, and Cancelo playing ahead of him. So so um, not a drastic move, but maybe just a, a little move for him. Yeah. Um, and the final player, um, I've, I've 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 dug him out and then I've praised him. I've dug him out. I'm not, I'm not really sure what to think of him, but Trent again this week, um, he gave the ball away so many times um, for Liverpool. I think there was, there was a stat I've seen on Twitter and, and um, that the He's he's given the ball away uh, the most times in the Premier League this season three times. I think it's like forty five times given it away, thirty nine times, and thirty eight times given it away in a game. Um, I think those are right. Mm. And and I get that's the way Liverpool play and they take risks and and he he try he creates a lot for them. But um, I'm not sure England can afford to do that in the Euro. So it, no. yeah, it'd be interesting. We'll see. We'll see how that progresses for the second half of the season um, and see if he can pick it up for Liverpool. But yeah, him a slight move for him. Yeah, I mean, another little criticism of Trent's is that he's not very good at uh, one-to-one defending when, when the attacker stood him up and tries to beat him. I've seen him yeah. seen him beaten so many times uh, on that right flank. Um, obviously, playing in that more advanced role, if you do play five at the back, um, means you can somewhat get away with it, especially if Carl Walker's sitting there behind yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a worry. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it was funny, without spending too much time, on, <clears throat> uh, much more time on this, yeah. Um, Brendan Rodgers changed the tactical setup when they went one 0 down against uh, Liverpool, and he moved Harvey Barnes up front with with Vardy in a, in a diamond shape. Um, and Harvey Barnes just absolutely killed that space in between Trent and and um, Kabak, the right centre back. Yeah. And that's my worry that if if he does play for England, it has to it almost has to be now in in a five at the back because of that because of that risk. He plays so high up, and I'm not going to say he neglects his defending responsibilities, but he can get beaten so easy and does leave those gaps. Whereas I don't think the other right backs do that. So. Um, yeah, interesting um, headache for, for Southgate. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you can um, check in on the latest England squad power rankings at the website, um, thewembleyway.com. Right. 
it's time for our last feature. It's the listeners' questions. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing four, four, fucking two. So our first uh, question then on tonight's listeners' questions is uh, to both of us. Uh, it's Jack at the Tricky Reds who asks, uh, your worst football in-stadium experience. Nick, what's yours? Um, so I've, I've got one that I'm going to quickly mention, then I'm going to move on to my, my worst one. But but one um, was I went to watch Chelsea against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League group stage. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, we sat, I think we were in the second row, and the Atletico subs the whole second half three of them plus their fitness coach warmed up uh, in front of us for the whole second half, only coming on like really late on in the game. And, yeah. and honestly, I mean, we, we might have to post the, the pictures on, on, uh, on the <clears> Wembley <throat> Way Twitter page uh, this week, but we couldn't see the game. Um, it, was, it was a rubbish game, so it didn't really affect it too much, but they just kept moving up and down in our eye line uh, in about a three meter area. And, uh, and we literally couldn't see anything. Both goal mouths were blocked every time we wanted to watch something. So that's pretty bad. But um, my my worst one, you know, going back quite a few years now. Um, so Billericay Town was my local team growing up. Um, and Billericay boing heard, boing. Indeed, yeah. And um, being the sort of, um, I guess, yeah, we were trying to cause a bit of trouble. And we we took a drum along. Hooligans, the word, Nick. Uh, well, I wouldn't cause it. I wouldn't call it that. But we t- we took a drum along to a match. And what we used to do, um, instead of standing in the home end where the home fans used to stand, we used to go down to the away end. Uh, where there was probably I don't know twenty fans from the visiting team, and we'd bang the drum and and chant all game just to just to um, really annoy them, I suppose. Looking back, is I probably deserve this, but um, and Billericay scored a goal, so we sort of celebrated and were banging the drum, celebrating in their face, and and they got really angry, and and a, and a middle-aged man turned around as, as we were banging the drum, um, and, sh- and sort of cheering in their face, and, and he took the drum beater and he hit okay. me over the head with it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Causing the stewards to run in and and every, everything kicked off and and, uh, and we actually got kicked out of the stadium for that, so um so that that, <laughs> that was quite comical and looking back obviously quite ignorant and stupid but uh, that's that my worst my worst in the stadium experience again hit over the head with the beater of a drum yeah it, it does sound like you deserved that, actually um <laughs> we, we, we must get him on the pod we get him on the pod <clears throat> yeah um so. <laughs> You reminded me actually, um, you mentioned the the bad viewing experience. I had a very similar view away at Old Trafford. I was actually in the home end in that same spot. So it's like kind of got by the, the, the corner flag, um, but on the, on the, on the sideline. And I was basically, I couldn't see it hardly. I couldn't hardly see the game, but what I could see was Pedro Mendes's strike, which he shot from the halfway line, which Roy Carroll fumbled over the goal line by two meters and uh, the referee didn't give the goal. And I was in the most perfect spot to see that. And me and my brother, young at the time, I think it's 2008. I don't know. That seems quite, yeah. I'm not. Might I'm have been it, earlier than that, you know. Yeah, my, uh, 2004. I think it was. Yeah, 2004. It was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we, we've been, we were quiet all game, um, you know, behaving, you know what I mean? Young, like scared. Um, and yeah, well, that went in, in like, I think it's in like late eighties, like there's, there's a handful of minutes left. Right. Um, and yeah, we went, we just went absolutely nuts. And cause we were, the Spurs fans are like to our right and they were screaming and we we're looking at them going, we can say, we can see like, as if like they're looking, they can hear us. <laughs> we're like, uh, anyway, oh, that was terrible, but that's not even my worst, 
uh, in the stadium experience. That's not your worst, okay. No, that, that, no, I'm just saying your one reminded me of that. But no, yeah. my one has to be the 2019 Champions League final. Um, <laughs> of course. Obviously, for the club, it was it was incredible to get there. Like, who 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 thought it? And for the, us Spurs fans who 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 made it into the stadium, like it was incredible to be there. Um, for context, I travelled by coach. Right. So imagine this. It's North London. And, and it, this was because it, like the flights were just ridiculous, weren't they? Like they're so expensive. You can get them by Euro tunnel. Like it was, it was like it was like thousands of pounds, wasn't it? We need to regulate stuff, so. the airline yeah. market place because yeah that is soon i mean it's obviously driven by demand there's some algorithm you yeah. know driving the yeah. prices up as and when a certain number of clicks hit that you know that request so you had to go by coach because i didn't want to spend 400 pounds um for a flight to madrid which should have cost 25 quid or something on ryanair yeah. do you know what i mean so yeah north london to madrid it took us over 24 hours um but we actually stopped in between um so it took like longer you know like um th 36 hours plus um, and we arrived around 2 p.m. mere hours before kickoff. So, like, we travelled nearly a day and a half to get there hours before kickoff, right? We just sit in the scene, right? Uh, the fan fest was incredible. Spurs legends, you know, like the atmosphere was like nothing I'd ever felt before. Um, and then the game started. <laughs> and within two minutes, everything was destroyed. Obviously, Mana, most people, everyone must know this. Mane boots the ball onto uh, Sissoko's shoulder from a distance of about a yard and the ref gives Liverpool a pen. Um, this is, I mean, I've, I mentioned this before in the pod, but I want to, what's the word, reinforce how ridiculous this is. This is, um, the pen was given because of, they introduced a super harsh, clear cut handball rule on June 1st, the day of the game, then realized their mistake uh, after this ridiculous call was given and changed the rules after the game. So basically we were penalized for Spurs were penalized for a rule that was only ever in operation for that one single game. All right. If that's not Spursy, I don't know what is. Anyway, after this, the atmosphere was dead. So you're two minutes in, I've traveled a day and a half to get there. Atmosphere dead. Yeah. From a Spurs perspective anyway, right? Obviously Liverpool love it. Um, and as was the competitiveness of the tie, it just sapped everything out of the match. Um, mm. Liverpool become cagey. We, we weren't good enough to break it down. It just changed the makeup of the match. Um, and yeah, it ended up being a pretty shite game. Um, obviously, Spurs lost. And to make it even better, I had to um, be back on the coach at 1am immediately after the game for another 24 plus hour journey home. And yeah, it has scarred me for life. Uh, and I haven't watched a single highlight of the game since. And I don't think I ever will. No, that, I mean, that coach journey home must have been the worst thing in the world. Not I mean, good. you know, like, <clears throat> like 24 hour coach journeys home from like school trips used to be really bad just because yeah. you're going home from the school trip and not to it. I mean, let alone losing in Champions League final. Christ. Everyone was so jolly on the, 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 yeah, the coach on the, way, on the way up. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a long journey, but who cares? We're going to Madrid, baby. Right. <laughs> this on the way back, right. Ben, Ben's uh, my brother's um, living um, in Grays, it's Thurrock or Grays at the time. So he, he needs to get dropped off at a, at a, at a what do you call it? A petrol station or whatever in Thurrock. And everyone's like, having to go at him because they didn't want the coach to stop. Because like, because that this coach is heading for North London, right? They're like, no, for oh. fuck's sake. Do you know what I mean? The, the <laughs> what's the word? The atmosphere on this coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mate, like yeah. a lead balloon. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Moving on swiftly. Um, our next question is by Paolo Di Canrio. And this one's for you, Nick. He asked um, three players from Prem teams outside the traditional top six who you would sign for Chelsea. Okay, so I, I'm going to take this question literally and I'm going to say the, the three players that I, I would like to sign rather than just sort of the three best players outside the top six because I think that's 
Um, it's sort of more in the context of Chelsea, I guess. So um, the first for me is I think we need a centre back. We've got Thiago Silva, so but I think we need someone else alongside him. Uh, and the two that stand out for me, um, sorry, sorry, the one that stands out for me really is, is Fafana. Um, yep. I think I think he's very been very good. Um, as, as a little side note, I suppose to Consa from from uh, Aston Villa. I think he's actually been linked with an England call-up and probably should be added to our power rankings. Um, he's been very good, but I think for Fafana, for me, given his age and potential, mm-hmm. I, w- I would go for him. Um, we need a centre midfielder. Um, I think Kante, we all know what he can do, um, but he's maybe getting on a little bit. He's had his injury problems and and has a cer- certain features to his, his game, but not maybe not others. So I think mm-hmm. um, I- I'm looking at three midfielders here, um, choosing one of them. So Rice, Ndidi or Tielemans. Um, I think I'm actually going to go with Tielemans because I think he would suit how we want to play going forwards. Okay. Um, he's, he's only 23. Did you know that? Yeah. Well, um, we were interested in before he uh, signed uh, uh, signed on to Leicester properly. I think he went on there and loaned yeah. initially, didn't he? And we, we, yeah, were, trying he did, to, we yeah. were trying to sneak him uh, exactly. at that point. And so, yeah, I knew he was a young mm. one. Yeah, I, I like Ndidi and I like Bryce. I think they're both very good players, very good shouts. But I'm going to go with, with Tielemans. Um I don't think we need uh, an attacking or a winger, um, a creative player at the moment. I think we've got enough on those books. But if, if we were to, I'd say Grealish or St. Maximum. Right. Um, I think they're both very lively players. But I think we need a, a very, very good striker. And uh, if I was going to pick one at the moment from outside those teams, I would probably go for Dominic Carver-Lewin. As I said earlier, I think he can, he can do um, everything that Tammy Abraham does slightly better at the moment. And I'm sure that will come for Tammy in years to come. But, um, I was to say, yeah. this sounds quite damning for Tammy. Well, well no, I'm, I'm not saying I, I am going to sign him now. I'm just Nick, saying... Nick, you've just signed Don McCalvert-Lewin. What? <laughs> um, no, I just, I just think right now he can do he can do things better than Tammy can. And sure. I think a lot, of, a lot of commentators and pundits have said it recently that if Chelsea are going to try and challenge for the league next year, we do need um, a centre-forward who's going to score You'd probably just buy lots and lots mate. of goals. Well, yeah, but we said outside of top six. So what, what, what's wrong with me? <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, so, so just to cement those in, I'm going to go for Fana. Tielemans and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. There you go. Okay, right. I, I have a question for you, Tom. Oh my uh, God. And this is from Ryan McSweeney at RyanMCS92. Mm-hmm. Simply put, Mourinho out? I think, yeah, the shortest question we've had so far. Um, but yeah, probably the most uh, depressing. I think we have to give him the Carabao Cup final. I think we will, and I think we should. Um, but win, lose or draw, I think he has to go at the end of the season. Uh, so I mean, not win, lose or draw in that in the final. He has to go at the end of the season. Uh, I, I saw someone put it uh, quite nicely on Twitter. They said just fire him on the pitch um, at half time, at a full time, um, even if the trophy's in his hands. Um, and I think that, that that solves a few things. What it does is it kind of Jose's got a success story. You know, it's a team who hasn't won a trophy in 13 years. He comes. He joins the club as manager, and suddenly we win. We win something. Um, it also um, justifies uh, Jose's um, uh, acquisition um, from um, from Levy's perspective. So Levy can then tell the the fans that you you're dying for a trophy. We've won one. Now we can get a project manager in, um, and it also then appeases the fans in that you know the, the the days of Jose would be over, and we can move on with our lives. So I think um, yeah, I think given the final in April. Um, but yeah, win, lose, or draw, get him gone, mm. uh, so we can start fresh uh, next season. Damning, damning. I, I always think, yeah. not, not, maybe not discussion for now, but I always think Romino that the, the thing that seems to happen is when he leaves, the squad seems to be in like a, a state where he the players he wanted are there, 
but the players the next manager wanted definitely aren't there. So it's, it's, it's about, in Levy's head this summer, it's going to be, okay, do I want to invest in Mourinho and the type of players that he wants even more? Yeah. Or or do I know that in a year's time, I'm going to get rid of him anyway and, we, and we're going to have to undo even more damage or I, damage, yeah, I, unwind I understand. his transactions even more. So it's, it's going to be an interesting one for Levy in the summer. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Um, I don't think he's been here long enough to do that yet. Um, but mm. yeah, I mean, if he buys Fellaini in the summer, then yeah, we, we're in trouble. <laughs> Um, okay, following on from that, um, yeah, yeah. another question. Uh, this was on our Facebook page, and if anyone hasn't checked it out, check out our Facebook page, The Wembley Way. Yeah. Um, this is from Phil Reynolds. Um, do you think Harry Kane will leave the Spurs in the next 12 months? Mm. And if so, who can afford him, and how much would Spurs want for him? And I'm um, going to add on a bit. Oh. How much can they get for him? Yeah. Okay, no, yeah. Um, so, do you think Harry Kane will leave? Probably yes. Um, why wouldn't he? He's literally the best striker in the world. Um, he does, and deserves to win everything in the game. Where does he go? Uh, Kane would want. He wants to break Shearer's uh, Premier League goal record, and mm. we know it, we, we all know Kane loves his records. Um, and I think that desire um, keeps him in England. Um, for me, it's either one of the Manchester clubs. I do think he has. Loyalty. He's not. I don't think he's going Chelsea, no matter how much money you use, uh, you, you're offered. Um, so I do think it's going to be one of the Manchester clubs. Um, I can see him fitting in nicely, for example, to replace Cavani, um, mm. which would fucking hurt because you know, considering we've been largely better than United for a number of seasons, mm. it's really just like just turn the tide, you know, and kind of set us back ten years. Um, how much for over 150 million? Um, would it be a world record transfer? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. What's the, the what's, what was Neymar? What was Neymar's transfer uh, fee? Knows. Was it like 200 million? Maybe I'm completely wrong. Yeah, I think it was up to 200 in the end, wasn't it? So I'd, ex I would yeah. expect it to be around there. I don't know exactly yeah. the figure. Um, and look, I'm clutching at straws here, but I do have a theory. Um, I have a, a theory of a, a series of events that could result in him staying, huh? um, even if Spurs continue to be uncompetitive, um, which is probably likely. Uh, my theory is, if England win the Euros, then he may feel less pressure to uh, to, uh, to succeed uh, at club level. Come on, England! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kane's future at Spurs relies on England. Exactly. Um, That's why I've started the England Kane. podcast, Nick. <laughs> yeah, let's get him going. Um, no, I, I, yeah, that's a really interesting one. Obviously, the market's dipped, isn't it, since COVID. So it'd be interesting to see if that gets back up to the, sort of the Neymar levels. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Levy's going to want a massive fee, but he's not going to want no fee if Kane decides to run down his contract. But then I can't see Kane doing that. So it's sort of it's a really interesting one. Um, really interesting sort of uh, power triangle between the, the respective clubs, whoever mm. the buyer might be, and, and Kane. So yeah, um, and I'm going to add I'm going to add one thing onto this as well. Three question. questions in a row. This is this, yeah, is, is this well, fair. It's, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's iconic. It's never been done before so. on the Wembley Way. Um, this is a, uh, an apparently a stupid and controversial idea. Oh, right. Um, is that self-proclaimed or are you calling it that? I, I, I've, I've stolen this material from someone else. Okay. Um, not sure who it is because I haven't written down their name. Stupid and controversial idea. Um, it would have been long-term good for Spurs to loan out Harry Kane to Man City in January. So he gets his Premier League medal, gets that ticked off his list of achievements... Also, he becomes a winner, then comes back to Spurs, which will magically improve the squad in the summer. What's your thoughts on that idea? 
obviously it's insane, but it is, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? <laughs> so like, we're, we're like, okay, so um, what, what, what thing, what do we do here? We, we want to maximize the amount of football Hurricane plays for Tottenham Hotspur, yeah? In the rest of his career. Yeah. The only way to do that, uh, if we're not going to win trophies, is to let him win some trophies in a time box period of time, a season, at a city, yeah? Then uh, he, he's, um, what's the word? Scratch that itch. Comes back to his homeboy club. Homeboy club? Is that a friend? Homeboy. Oh, God. Um, his uh, his uh, boy, boyhood club is yes, what I meant to say. That's the word. And then just like, yeah, he's proven it. He can win it. Um, he did it for England when they won the Euros in 2021. But he's also done it at City or United or whatever. Probably City because United aren't that good. Um, and then, yeah, then he can fulfill five more years at Spurs uh, and no questions asked. It makes so much sense. I still wouldn't do it because it's awful. Um, I, yeah. I, I want, I want to win trophies at Spurs. I want Kane to be captain for it for them ideally. Um, but that's another question. Um, uh, so no, I'm not going to take him up on this offer from Levy. It was Levy, I think, who sent you this message. Um, we're not. I'm going to say no, but it does make sense. It's very logical. Yeah, it's it's the most sensible idea that's got absolutely or had no absolutely no chance of ever happening in, ever. Yeah. and ludicrous idea so it's yeah um it's a funny one i thought i'd mention it yeah thanks uh daniel for that at daniel levy okay <laughs> uh so nick i've got two questions for you now i'm, I'm getting my own okay. back right, yeah the sure. first one is um by austin at austin brown underscore he asks can you discuss efl scrapping salary caps in league one and two because he thinks it would be a disaster what do you think um <laughs> thanks austin um, it's a good question. It's so I, I'm, question. I'm, I'm not that. I mean, uh, excuse my ignorance. Maybe we should get shelled on to explain it. But I'm, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. Give us some context on this. Well, one. I, I've done my research because um, we weren't expecting this question, obviously, and uh, and Shell's not here live with us. So no, so what not we this do? Week. I didn't want to be stuck. So I've done a little bit of research. So the salary caps are um, an annual limit that the clubs in League One and League Two can spend on wages. Right. Um, but it excludes under twenty-one players, under twenty-one-year-old players. Yep. So. Um, in League One, the the salary cap is two point five million pounds a year, and in League Two, it's one point five billion pounds a year, uh, obviously per club, uh, and um, they can only have a twenty man squad. Why do they do this? Registered. Why? Give me give me a reason. Is it to uh, to level the playing field? No, it, it's more of a bankruptcy protecting clubs thing. Right. Um, so so the EFL don't want clubs going under because there's a lot of jobs at stake, a lot of fans that, um, who support the clubs and things like that. So yep. so they think that by adding these caps in. Um, they 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 can't spend more than more than they're earning, uh, yep. and therefore uh, therefore it's it's going to help the the livelihoods of the clubs and, and help them survive, I guess, especially during this COVID pandemic. But um, right. but these 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 caps have now been scrapped um, because they're unlawful. Ah, um, like anti and, like business trade. Yeah, well, effectively, football is business, isn't it? And if a business yeah. goes under, a business goes under. You can't just sort of say you're not allowed to spend this much. And yeah, yeah. Um, I, so while I agree with the. The, the premise of the caps, I suppose, in, in the sense that we should be trying to protect these football clubs because football is slightly different to business, but I agree there's a, obviously a large part of it is business. Um, I, I agree that we should be doing something to support them and help them. I think that should be more focused in, in the owners and the owners' culpability if something goes wrong and they've overspent and taken too many risks yeah. rather than looking at capping, um, capping expenditure. And the reason I say that is you've got Sunderland who are bringing in, or in usual time, they're bringing in 30,000 people every every match. Mm -hmm. And you've got, 
I don't know, Akron and Stanley, who are probably not doing that. I don't know what their average attendance is. Sure. Um, and so one's making so much more money than the other. So why, why are Sunderland bound by the same expenditure limits that another club is in the yeah. same league, even though their income levels are completely different? So it, it basically gives no um, sporting incentive to increase your revenue because you can't spend that on your wages anyway. Yep. So, so I mean, from that point of view, it's not, it's sort of anti-competition. It's sort of, I don't know, it's, it's adding in that, People might say it's fairer because both uh, teams are able to spend the same amount of wages, but it, it gives no incentive to grow your revenue and, and be able to spend more. So I, I don't agree on that front. It's only, it's only fairer uh, within the context of that singular singular league, right? But it's actually distancing that league from the league above it um, and the league above that. And we kind of um, commend this uh, English football triangle. We love this, the pyramid rather. Uh, mm. But by handcuffing uh, clubs in particular leagues, uh, you're just you're just break, you're basically breaking up the uh, the pyramid because um, teams are bound by different rules. It's not fair. Exactly. You got like I said, you got League One spending 1.5 million on wages, and League Two 2.5, and 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 somehow a League One club's got to go up and then compete straight away with a League, yeah. a, a League Two club go up and compete with one League One club. So it's yeah, it, it, it's um, I, I don't like them. I like the idea behind doing something to protect these clubs because. Um, they are worth a lot in terms of um, fans appreciation for them and reliance yep. upon them especially with jobs so um, do something to protect them but better than salary caps so I agree with the scrapping oh. thanks Austin well disagreeing with Austin though right who uh, who thought it would have been a disaster maybe we should get him I'd on like to, to explain why yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely um, maybe not okay last question it's for Nick again um, as I said um, it's Tom Green at Tom Green number one who asks who are your top three teenagers in the PL right now? So I was doing a little bit of research for this. And I tell you what, there's a lot of players in the Premier League, very good players who have just turned 20, um, which is very unfortunate for answering this question. But... You know, don't mention them. You're not allowed to mention them. I'm not allowed to mention them? <laughs> no, I, don't want, I do not want to hear them. Because what you're going to do, you're going to pad out an answer with these uh, these uh, uh, 20-year-olds yep. uh, and give me some lame teenagers. I want your three best teenagers, please. Well, Tom Green wants your three best teenagers, please. Okay, I, I hear what you and Tom are saying, both Toms, um, but I'm Great just going to list these. Fafana Foden, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Curtis Jones, Pedro Neto, Ethan oh, Lampadu, Ferran Torres, I'm cutting you off. Tarek Lamptey, Emil <laughs> Smith-Rowe. I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, all twenty, all just turned twenty. Very good players, but let's get yeah, to the, not, the question. Not, yeah, not the answer. Um, question, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Th <laughs> three best teenagers in the Premier League right now are Saka, Greenwood, and Martinelli. Don't know. Expand on that, or is that it? <laughs> well, they're the only ones I could find who hadn't turned twenty. No, and they were uh, three great choices. No, I'm, I'm joking. I, I think um, Martinelli had he not had his injury problems, I think would be a key Arsenal player right now. Saka, we know what he's been doing. Um, first name on a team sheet for Arsenal probably at the moment uh, and Greenwood the back end of last season particularly was very impressive um, in, in United's run they called him the next Van Persie weren't they at one stage they were uh, maybe not worked out quite as well from this this, this season so far but yeah um, you can see the talents there both footed um, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah, class yeah. finishing both feet so um, yeah th those three for me uh, there's, there's a few names to back up but I don't think any of them have really played enough minutes yeah. um, yet to, to challenge those three so they're my, they're my three best teenagers in the Premier League right now and there you go and that concludes Series 1 Episode 5 of the Wembley Way Podcast I can't believe we've done five episodes Nick I know they've, they haven't kicked us off yet off Spotify or I've, I've never stuck to something so long <laughs> <laughs> <Very true. laughs> and now like I always do uh, I like to have the final word <laughs> <laughs>
And that is please subscribe to our podcast feed, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or Google Podcast. Uh, leave us a five re uh, star review. Um, it really helps. Um, please keep them coming in. Share us to your friends. Follow us on Twitter and now Facebook at The Wembley Way. And remember to check out our website for previous episodes and the latest England squad uh, power rankings at thewembleyway.com. And that's not all. Uh, for those who have stayed uh, uh, to the end of the podcast, um, we actually have a, a competition, Nick, don't we? Um, coming out this week uh, in between the release of this episode and the next, we'll be uh, announcing the uh, inf uh, some information where you could uh, participate in a competition to win some... Uh, I won't, I won't ruin it now, but some uh, serious England goodies. Um, so uh, uh, watch this space. Um, and, and we'll probably mention it in, in the next episode as well. So that, uh, I'll leave that there for now. Uh, anyway, I've been Tom. And I've been Nick. And we've been the Wembley Way. Good night. Yeah.